all things. You can do all things according to God's will, not your own will. Okay? And so when Paul writes this, he's not really saying that. And the New Living Translation doesn't do much better at helping us understand it because it says, I can do everything through Christ. And some of us live our lives like we can do everything. And so we're in so many activities and our lives are so busy and so full and our budget is so down to the last penny that there's no margin in our finances. There's no margin in our schedule. And we wonder why we're taxed, stressed, and I mean, I can do everything through Christ, and that's not necessarily true. And I want to share something with you. I want to share a chart with you because uh, I have this fear that maybe as, as we've been talking about different translations, I'm guessing you have a favorite translation of the Bible. And I'm guessing that you think there are other translations of the Bible that are horrible, okay? That's just my guess, if you've served God for any length of time. And here's the thing. Sometimes we make statements like, well, that translation's not very accurate. Most of the translations that are out there are accurate. It's really just a preference, and it's what the scholars were trying to do. How many of you speak more than one language? You speak more than one language. Raise your hand. You speak English, and you speak something else. Wow, there's not very many of you that speak two languages. So maybe you don't understand this, or maybe you're just afraid to raise your hand. But when you take something in a one language and you try to put it in another language, it's sometimes really hard to convey what's actually being said in that other language. And so scholars take a biblical writing that's in two separate languages. Okay, the, the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, and they're trying to put it into English and keep the meaning of it for us. And so when scholars come together, they, they, they have a goal. What are you trying to accomplish with this translation? And here's a chart. You, you, if you want to take a picture of it, take a picture of it, look at it later. But all of the translations fall somewhere on this, this scale, if you will. Some of them, if you go all the way over to the left, it says word for word, and it's called an interlinear. And so basically the Greek word or the Hebrew word, and then right underneath it is another word, and it's super choppy because they're not in the same order in English as they are in Hebrew or Greek, and so they're out of order, and that's the way languages and translations work. And so that's on that scale. And then all the way over on the right side is everybody's favorite, the message. And the message, <laughs> the message is what we call a paraphrase. Okay, it's not that the message is wrong. And there are people that are like, the message is of the devil. The message is wrong. No, the message is not wrong. The message was written by a guy who actually knows a lot about the Bible, Eugene Peterson, great scholar, wrote a lot of books, and he was writing a devotional book for his children. He was taking the Bible and putting it into words from his heart for them, not meaning to translate it for the world, okay? So... It's not that it's not an accurate translation, but you've got to understand when you read it, what the point of it is. And so to say that one is right and one is wrong, and then there's this thought for thought in the middle. So you're taking a thought, and then you're putting it into an English thought. And so all of these translations fall in different places, and one is not right and one is not wrong. And even last week when I said, you know, the New King James does, it's not that it does a poor job of helping us understand it. It's just when we, because here's the, here's, the, here, uh, here's the problem. We're lazy. We're lazy. 
We just want to read the Bible and hope we're getting it. Uh, we don't want to study. We don't want to know the culture. We don't want to know the context. We don't want to know why this translation is this way. And so sometimes we just take stuff and we're like, oh, I want that to mean this. Woohoo! Here I go. Um, and that is terrible. And when we do that in Philippians 4.13 with these passages of Scripture, it's not that one is more right than the other. It's just it doesn't really help us convey. And we looked at the, the NIV last week. I can do all this through Christ. Now that's a thought for thought translation. And the reason that, he, that I like that is because you can't read that all this without asking the question, well, what is all this? So then you go back and you find out, well, what is all of this? And as we went back one verse, Paul says, I've learned the secret of living in any and every situation. So what Paul says literally is, I know what it is to be self-sufficient in every moment. Not self-sufficient apart from Christ. Self-sufficient in Christ. Meaning in Christ, I don't need a certain circumstance in order to act a certain way. I don't need certain people to do things in order to act a certain way. I have learned no matter what, face, what I'm facing, what circumstance, the way people are acting, I can live out my faith correctly and consistently. I've learned that secret. And last week we went through 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7 and we just picked out different things to learn how Paul learned this secret. Do you know how he learned it? He faced difficulties and he faced plenty times, good times. So in all of these situations, he had to try to be consistent with the help of the Holy Spirit because in the hard times, he was tempted to respond in anger. He was tempted to respond in frustration. He was tempted to respond with hopelessness. The apostle Paul admits that there were days he despaired even of life. That literally means he thought he would be better off dead than alive. So if you have ever struggled with the thought of taking your own life or that you would be, the world would be better without you, you are not alone. The Apostle Paul did that too. But in that moment, he had a, an encounter with God where he was strengthened by his faith that he had and he was able to act a certain way even in the midst of that. He didn't need the circumstance to change for that to happen. He didn't need people to come. It's great when people give us a word, but I don't know if you've ever been in a dark time like Pastor Mark just described, and there was no word to be found. I mean, it was as if heaven was brass. Nobody was calling you. Nobody was picking up the phone, and it's easy to sit there and think, well, that's, that's church people for you. They'll leave you every time. I mean, it's easy to sit there in your own muck. And you're reading the Bible and nothing is leaping off the page at you. But in those moments, he is still present. And Paul says, I've learned this secret. I can strengthen myself in the Lord. I can make sure to stand firm and act consistent. But it doesn't happen easy. So when we say keep calm, that's not a feeling. It's an action. Because you're going to keep calm with our actions, even though on the inside, there's all this. We have the ability to keep calm through Christ who strengthens us. When we say keep practicing, that comes from verse 9, just a few verses up. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, keep putting it into practice, literally is what he says. And the God of peace will be with you. And so when we keep practicing these things, God doesn't give us peace. He's with us and he is peace. 
So having peace in my life does not depend on what my circumstances are. Having peace in my life does not depend on what people around me are doing for me or not for me. It's all in when I walk with God and keep putting these things into practice. And here's the secret. I'm going to tell you this now. One moment, you're going to get this right. And the next moment, you might fall flat on your face. But you know what we do? We keep putting into practice. So we keep calm and we keep practicing. We are going to keep putting it into practice and we're going to keep giving mercy and grace to others at the same time. When we get it right, we're going to praise God for his grace. And when we get it wrong, we are going to thank God for his mercy both of which he gives us at the cross. And the reason I think this is so important, this series I think is so essential for us as believers, as a church, um, because of destiny. I believe God has a purpose and plan for every individual life, for us as a corporate body, for Restoration Church, and the only one that can short-circuit God's plan for us is us. No demon in hell, no person no disease, no circumstance, nothing. Last week, we ended by looking at Joseph. And God had a purpose for Joseph's life to be the second in command in Egypt and to be able to deliver the entire nation of Israel from the, the famine and all of the surrounding nations. And his brothers tried to stop that from happening. Potiphar's wife tried to stop that from happening. The butler and the baker, well, we can't really blame the baker, <laughs> So but we can blame the butler, tried to keep that from happening. All of these people in his life tried to stop that from happening, but nobody can stop it from happening. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this, endure hardship as discipline. Here's the truth. You are going to face hard times and difficult people. It's, it's just going to happen. Do you know why? Because people are difficult. You are one of them. We are all difficult in some way, but... Endure it as discipline or training, not as punishment. It's training discipline, okay? Not like you've been bad, so God sent that person to, you know, reap what you sow. I mean, I've heard it said in that way, and yes, that's true, but um, you cannot think of this hardship as God punishing us. It's discipline. No discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful. It's painful. A diet is painful. Exercise routines are painful. Discipline is painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Hallelujah. Everybody wants a harvest of righteousness and peace. Not just if you endure hardship, but if you are trained by it. Trained by it. So if you go through hardship and you're complaining and criticizing and yelling and being bitter and you're not being trained by that. So you're going to go through that hardship again until you get to the place where God is ready to put you in your destiny. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Look, he, he tells us to do it. You do this. Strengthen. Why? Because you have the power of God in you. You can strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. You can make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. So that when you endure hardship as discipline, I'm so excited about this, I could just spit right now. When you endure hardship as discipline, it puts your character in line with God's destiny for you so that other people get to drink from that well. 
This is so good. And I love Psalm 23. I have come back to Psalm 23 so much over the last. I, I went through a difficult year this last year. And um, physically, I battled some stuff. Had to have surgery for it. Mentally, emotionally. Um, and I kept coming back to Psalm 23. I read a book by Heath Adamson called Grace in the Valley, uh, which is all about Psalm 23. Everywhere I turned, Psalm 23, Psalm 23, just kept coming back. So I was studying it. Just a week ago, I went down to Mitchell. And uh, I listened to a sermon by Bill Johnson on the way there from Psalm 23. And I'm like, wow, God, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. And we get there and the speaker says, you know, we need to learn how to pray more. We as, as the people of God don't pray. That's, it's another sermon for another time. But another, he tells us we're, there's no music. We're going to take 20 minutes and pray right now. It's going to be quiet in this room other than you interacting with the Lord. And I want you to interact with the Lord through Psalm 23. I'm like, Wow. I can't. And he's like, don't prepare a sermon, don't, but I want you to just interact with the Lord. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't want to hear Heath Adamson's voice. I don't want to hear Bill Johnson's voice or any other voice. I want to just study Psalm 23. I want to interact with you in Psalm 23. And as I did, I believe this concept of knowing how to respond in every situation is embedded in Psalm 23. So let's read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the paths, right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death in some translations, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that day, as I was reading this psalm and just interacting with the Lord, and I, I'm fighting the thoughts because all these other guys have said true things, and it, I've, I've gained so much from it and felt like the Lord has spoken to me. All of a sudden, I realized there's a hinge in this verse, that in this chapter, that I just had never seen before. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. God's priority for every single person is a restored soul. Everything before that is about him bringing us to a place of restoration in our soul. And everything that follows that is how we live now that we have a restored soul. That's the hinge. And when you think of soul, I know that we've been trained that soul means our mind, will, and emotions, and generally it does. But in this, this passage, this word soul is actually used 750 times in the Bible, and it doesn't just refer to our mind, will, and emotions. It's everything about us. It's our entire being. And so literally what he's saying is he restores me completely. Everything about me becomes healthy again. And I know some translations say, he refreshes my soul. <laughs> With all due respect, that doesn't do it justice. Because this word restoration is about bringing it back to a complete former condition, as it was designed to be. He brings us back totally to this restoration. And for us as a church, this is what we have been striving for. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, strive for full restoration. I believe God's plan for every single one of us is a restored soul. So the, at the beginning of this psalm, it says, the Lord 
is my shepherd. We know David's a shepherd. We know that he understands shepherding. That's why he calls the Lord his shepherd in this verse. But here's what I want you to look at. The Lord, the Lord, that word is the word Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh is first introduced to us in the scriptures where Abraham, or excuse me, Moses is introducing God to the people, the Lord, Yahweh. The people of Israel did not even speak this word out loud because God was so big, so powerful, so holy, so righteous that they couldn't even write or say his name. If they ever had to write it, they wrote the first letter and that was it. The Lord is my shepherd. This psalm begins with the issue of lordship. I am going to tell you right now that most of us do not have problems with lack in our life. Whether that lack is financial, that lack is relational, or that lack is mental or emotional in some way. Most of us are not lacking something in that sense. We have a lordship problem. The psalm does not ignore the fact that we have conflict or warfare or devils or darkness, but the Lord is our shepherd in the midst of it all. In other words, he is always, always in total control. We looked at this verse last week, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You cannot have a restored soul without settling the, 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 the settling lordship in your life. You have to come to the place where he is Lord. When we react to situations around us, we mistakenly believe that people around us or circumstances around us actually hold our destiny when the scripture is clear that the Lord holds our destiny, that he is working for our good. What can anyone else do? And so if we don't settle lordship, I know we say, oh, pastor, I don't have a lordship problem. I have declared Jesus is my Lord. Are you responding like it? Are you, I mean, when the Bible says do not fear, it's not saying you shouldn't have fearful emotions. It's saying don't give fear a place. It's saying don't focus on your fear. Get your eyes on your Lord. Set your thoughts on your Lord. That's the, it's a lordship issue in our lives. And many times we think the pain that we're feeling is because of people or because of circumstances. And the pain we're going through many times is just we're refusing to say you're Lord. He is looking for one simple thing from all of us to acknowledge that he is Lord. Lord. It's really that simple. I mean, it's really hard, but it's really simple. But because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. That doesn't mean I'm not going to have a need tomorrow. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not going to have a difficult decision that I don't, I, I'm going to need wisdom for. It doesn't mean that if you have a problem, then Jesus isn't your Lord. It's meaning that regardless of my circumstances, I have come into a place of breakthrough because Jesus is Lord. It means I have everything I need to face it. I can strengthen my feeble arms and weak knees. I can make a level path for my feet. Timothy tell, or Peter tells us his divine power has given us everything we need. Oh, I just need someone to call me today. Oh, I just, here's the thing. When I have gone into places and I need a word from God and I'm like, oh God, just have that guy call me out tonight or have someone prophesy over me. It never happens. Never happens. But when I go into a place and I don't need it, it seems to happen all the time. 
And I'm like, Lord, why, why don't you do it when I need it? I mean, why don't you, you bring me to this place when, when, when I can hear you? And here's the thing. When God is, is silent, it's never about punishment. When God is silent, he's already spoken, and his silence actually causes us to dig deep and find what he said. It's actually a strengthening process of our character that has to happen so we can come to a place of a restored soul. Then, then look at what he says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. <laughs> Some of you need to be made to lie down. As humans, we have a tendency to want to lie down in the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, so hard. I just want to lay down. He makes us lie down in the place of abundance. When we would feel like, ah, I'm good today. I don't need to lie down. Oh, yeah, my emotions are good. My, my spirit is good. My soul is good. I'm good, good, good. And we don't, and he makes us lie down there because he knows the valley of the shadow of death is coming. And if you can learn to lie down in green pastures, then you will keep moving in the valley of the shadow of death. They go together. You're just going to have to trust me. So he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still or beside quiet waters. Here, the restoration of our soul is fully dependent on our ability to eat and drink spiritually. The restoration of our soul is fully dependent on our ability to eat and drink spiritually. It's about being in God's word and it's about being in God's presence through his spirit. Our diet is revealed in how it goes with our soul. If there is a problem in my soul, it is not my circumstances, it is not the people around me, it is my diet. I have stopped lying down in green pastures. I have stopped drinking from the quiet waters. Our circumstances do not dictate how it is with our soul. It reveals how it is with our soul. So if I'm all of a sudden just short with everyone in my life and I'm just snippy, it's not them. It's what's going on inside me. And it comes back to my diet. Now here's the thing. This is not about guilt or condemnation. This is about an invitation. This is about a way of life that you have been invited to, that I have been invited to, so that we can know what it is to live from a restored soul. And look at what he says. Those who live in this place of a restored soul, he leads us in the right path. Some of your translations say the paths of righteousness, but the right path for his name's sake. Do you know how easy it is for us to assume that we know the will of God in a matter? I don't know if you ever struggle with that. I struggle with it all the time because, you know, if I have, we have a history with the Lord. So the last time, you know, that happened, this is how I responded. I, I mean, it's not rocket science. You just, it worked last time, so we're doing it this time. And I'm not talking about evil and good or moral and immoral. I mean, there are things in the scripture that's clear that, um, yeah, this is how you act in this situation. Totally clear. But I'm talking about the difference between doing the right thing that God has directed or just doing a good thing and hoping God blesses that. See the difference? I mean, we can do good things, and we can even back it up with Scripture, but it might not be the right path that God's leading us on. How do we know? It's for His namesake. It's not for our namesake. It's not for our comfort or security. It's for His namesake. And so sometimes we're faced with a choice in life, and if we have not come to a restored soul, 
we will choose the path of least resistance. We will choose the good path and pray, oh God, bless this path. I mean, this has to be your will because look how it works out good for me. It's not for our name's sake, it's for his name's sake. And so David is a great example. He never took anything for granted when it came to God. I mean, he did. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. David made mistakes, and we see it all through his life. Uh, he did something without seeking the Lord, and it made a mess. But David, over and over again, asks God things in, in prayer that I'm like, dude, that's like a no-brainer. But do you know why David did that? Because the Lord was his shepherd. I mean, it's not like, okay, I've got the instructions now. I'll just, thank you. Thanks, God. I'll be, I'll be over here doing this stuff, and, and, and I'm good. We don't ever grow out of dependency upon God. We grow into dependency with God. As you mature as a believer, you should not say, well, I, you know, I don't pray as much as I used to because, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of got this all figured out. Now I know what to do. I know how to apply it to certain situations. Look out. Because the moment you think you can do it without him, you've missed it. And you can look at a situation between something that's good and something that's good, and you can say, I am sure the Lord is in that one because look how good it works out for me. I'm not saying the Lord doesn't want to bless us and the Lord doesn't want to bring things into our lives, but some people talk themselves into marriages they should never have gotten into. They talk themselves into jobs they should have never taken. They talk themselves into situations that looked good and it was a benefit for me, but I never actually said, God, what's your namesake? And it's because there's no restored soul. Because when you don't have a restored soul, you need your circumstances to be perfect. Because if my circumstances aren't perfect, then there's fear and there's anxiety and there's frustration. But when you come to a place of restored soul, he can lead you in the right path. And the reason that we need to understand this is because of the next phrase, when I walk through the valley. When I walk through the valley. Not if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When? Because there are measures of God's presence that we can only find in the valley of the shadow of death. Last week in 2 Corinthians, Paul said this over and over. There is a closeness. There is an intimacy. There is a knowledge of the God who raises the dead that you cannot know until you walk with him in the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't come just in a worship service. It doesn't come in a prayer line. It doesn't come in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. All of those things are great. But when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil because he is with you. That overwhelming peace is with you because your rod and your staff, they protect me. They comfort me. Then look at this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want you to notice the Lord prepares a table and the Lord puts it in the middle of our enemies. The table is the place of nourishment, the place of fellowship, and the place of intimacy. And so what the psalmist, what David is saying is there's a place of closeness with God that's right in the middle of our enemies. But some of us tend to define our circumstances by the enemies that we see and not by the God who sits across the table from us in the midst of our enemies. And we can't walk through the valley of the shadow of death and respond the same way that we do in the green pastures because there's something amiss in our soul. And instead of saying, God, you've got to help restore my soul, we blame everybody else. 
If I could just get a different job, if I could just get a different circumstance, if I could just get a different spouse, if I could just get different kids, if I could just get a different car, if I could just get something different on the outside of me, I'd have peace. No, you totally wouldn't. It's a mirage. And that, that you might have peace for a moment, but that place of intimacy that he gives us, even in the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't make our stuff disappear. It just no longer matters. He brings peace that passes all understanding. He reminds you if God is for you, who can be against you? You know that's in there? If God is for you, no weapon formed against you will prosper. If God is for you, it doesn't mean people won't be against you. It doesn't mean life won't be against you. It just means it doesn't have a vote in your destiny. (laughs) It cannot stop what God has in store for you. But you can. I can. By choosing not to walk through that valley of the shadow of death, fixing my eyes on him. It's a lordship issue. The people of Israel, God told them this in Isaiah 30, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. See, this is so important. Please understand this. This, again, is not about shame and guilt. It's about there's something better for us. There's a destiny that doesn't just affect us, that affects everyone in our lives. Because look at how he ends this. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. If we, if we get this, if we, if we learn to walk this way from this place of a restored soul, the outcome is that there is more that is going to flow into our lives than we can contain. And you and I become a fountain of resource and a fountain of life for countless other people in our lives. We can't be that if we don't learn to trust in these dark times. It's about surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. And if we do this, I love this, surely goodness and love, that word actually in many translations is mercy. Again, translators, God love them. His goodness and his mercy. Remember we talked about last week, we come into the, the presence of God, we come into his throne room and we receive mercy and then we receive grace. And in this one, it says that mercy and grace follow us. You follow us. They hunt us down, literally. If you come to a place where the Lord is really your shepherd, you, and you realize, I lack nothing, you start lying down in green pastures, you start drinking by the, by the quiet waters, and you let him restore your soul. You come to that place, then he's going to lead you in the right paths. He's going to, even in the, the valley of the shadow of death, you're not going to fear evil. You're going to sit at a table prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. He is going to anoint you with oil, and your cup is going to overflow. And mercy and grace are just going to hunt you down all the days of your life, and you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And some of the circumstances in your life are going to change, and some of them are not. And so... The question that I want you to ask is, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul right now? Just close your eyes for just a moment. How is it with your soul? I'm not, how is it with your circumstances? I'm guessing there are people against you. I'm guessing there's stuff against you. I'm guessing there's not a person in this room that you ain't got something going on outside of you that's just hard and messy. The question is, how is it with your soul?
Because God has a destiny for you. God has a destiny for this church. And I believe we're going to see it. I believe it's already begun. I believe he's been doing it all along. And the only time we get off track is when we get our eyes off of him and we get them on our enemies. He is for you. Who can be against you? He wants to begin to overflow your cup so that at work, at home, everywhere you go, you can become a source. As Paul said last week, you can become a source of comfort by the God who's comforted you in all of your troubles. And so, Father, I ask today, God, that you'd help us come to the place where we we recognize how it is with our soul. Bring us to a place of total surrender. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak so plainly and clearly right now to every one of us in this room. Show us the areas of lordship that are contested in our lives, the areas that we haven't laid down yet, the things that we are are clinging to and hoping are going to maybe go our way, the, the outward circumstances that we're trying to force to go a certain direction because ultimately there's not a restored soul on the inside of us. And so Holy Spirit, Speak plainly and clearly over these next few moments. I want to invite you to stand with me. And here's how we're going to end our service today. We're going to sing that same song that we sang just a few minutes ago that says, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And as we sing it, if you need to come, I wanted to put tables in the front today, but the tables are too big. So there are chairs here. And some of you need to come in the, in the presence of your enemies. Your enemies might be sickness. Your enemies might be disease. They might be people. They might be circumstances. But maybe you just need to kneel or you need to sit in the presence of your enemies and look eyeball to eyeball with the Lord who's you, who is your shepherd and just let him restore your soul. And so if we can just start that, we're going to sing this song. And as we sing it together, I want you to respond to the Lord. If there are areas of lordship that are contested and you need to lay them down, I want you to come lay them down. You want to stand and worship. You want to kneel and worship. You want to sit and worship at that table. But let's come to a place where we look across that table with him right now and we answer the question how it is with our soul. He's not here to condemn. He's not here to put guilt on you. Our prayer team is going to be here in the front. If you want someone to pray with you, we want to have that opportunity to pray with you. But let's make this our prayer as we sing it together. In the middle of the storm, there's a table for you right now. You're reaching out for me. He's prepared that place for you. Just repent. If there's areas of lordship you need to lay down, just do it. Find me 
Ask Him to breathe on you today. Ask Him to breathe life into you today. It's not just about memorizing something to say. It's about the Spirit of God breathing life into our spirits today.
challenge you every day this week. Take 10 minutes, no worship music. Try to find a quiet place for some of you. The only place that you might find a quiet place is in your car in the garage. But find that 10 minutes, open up Psalm 23, and let it read you. Let the Holy Spirit speak Psalm 23 deep into your heart. Let him restore your soul. His plan for you is not for other people to be saved through your life. His first plan for you is a restoration of your soul. And if you get that backwards and you try to start letting him flow through you before he has brought you to a place of restored soul, you're you're headed for burnout. You're headed for a washout. I'm not saying you got to get this perfectly. I don't have it perfectly. But you've got to come to a place where you have settled he is Lord. So Holy Spirit, this week I pray, bring us to that place where the Lord is our shepherd. Remind us that we lack nothing. Holy Spirit, make us lie down in green pastures. Lead us beside those quiet waters. Bring restoration to our soul. Show us how to walk in the right path for your name's sake. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear because you are with us. Your rod, your staff, they're going to comfort us. You're going to prepare that table and we're going to sit at it and we're going to look at you and we're not going to focus on our enemies anymore. We're going to set our minds on things above. We're going to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our salvation and we're going to sit there in the presence of our enemies and we're going to declare your goodness. We're going to declare your love. We're going to declare who you are. We're going to declare your victory. We're going to declare that you are working for our good and that no one can stop the destiny that you have for us. And you're going to anoint us with oil. You're going to cause our cup to overflow. And we're going to turn around and see your grace and your mercy hunting us down all the days of our life. So Holy Spirit, settle these words in our heart today, I pray. God, I pray your blessing over this entire body today. God, those that are here, those that are not here, would you bless them and keep them? God, would you cause your face to shine on them? Would you lift up your countenance upon them? Would you be gracious to them? And God, would you be their peace? Be their peace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to spend time at the altar, you sure can. Uh, You don't have to rush out. If you still need prayer, our prayer team is here. If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to continue to pray. God bless you as you go today.